0: So, tonight I'm going to take you on an expedition. We are in our series called In the Know. It's about getting assurance that we are truly saved. That's as simple as I can put it. Uh, Maybe you're in a situation today where you are not so sure. In John's time, obviously, he wrote this letter for what purpose? To assure. The believers that they have true salvation as it is today. It's good for us. See, we live, we live in a world so much, uh, there's so much fakery in it. There's full of fakes and f- counterfeits. We deal with fake names, fake addresses, fake nails. By the way, ladies, those look pretty good sometimes. Right? Counterfeit money, counterfeit merchandise. We call them knockoffs, worthless. And when I was preparing this message, I was reminded by a magazine article that I read a few years back, and it was talking about the, uh, the proliferation of fake Rolex watches in the marketplace. The counterfeiters were getting better at it. So this gentleman that authored this, uh, it's not that I was in the market for buying one, but I just was interested because I love watches, as my wife. You no, know, I can't go to the store and not stop by at the counter just to like take a look at the watch. I don't know. I had such fascination for them, so it piqued my interest. And the, and the title of the article was simple: "How to Know That Your Rolex Is Genuine." Right? And then he he went on to list a lot of identifying marks or features that would assure the reader the reader that if that their watch is authentic, if they had one. And if you were in the market for one, you'll be able to what? To distinguish the real from the fake. And it's an unfortunate thing that even in Christianity, then and now, we also deal with what? Counterfeit Christianity, counterfeit Christians. That's the enemy's attempt to what? To cloud and to take down the truth of God. So he will always put something... Of the opposite in the guise that it's true Christianity. You know Satan's was like an angel of light. With a Rolex it was a matter of what? A 15,000, 20,000 watch, but with Christianity what you're dealing with is a matter of life and death. The value is the eternal destiny of man. So with the same sentiment as the Rolex author, the Apostle John wrote this letter, to believers who he called my dear children. That's a term of endearment because he was the spiritual father of this people. The overarching theme of the letter was the identifying characteristics of a genuine believer. He gives a list of character traits that would be evident in the lives of believers and this trait would show that their faith was authentic. He goes, In essence, he was saying, I'm going to give you a reminder. If you are in Christ, this is who you are. You have any doubts about your salvation? You need assurance? Go take a look at the list that I provided you. Like Pastor Paul said this morning, you need to examine yourself. And those people around you need to examine themselves. If you claim to be believers, go to the list. And if you measure up against the list, you passed. You're taking a test, like Pastor Paul said. When you pass, you're what? You're in the know. When you're in the know, you gain assurance. You see, mere profession of faith in Christ does not necessarily mean that you possess Christ, would you agree? Right, there's a big difference between just professing it and truly possessing it. When you possess Christ, it will show itself true in your life. It would manifest some kind of an evidence in your life that you are truly saved. In the past few weeks, we were looking at this identifying characteristics of a true believer. Many of of those things have been discussed already, but we can at this time probably sum up three major categories. Number one, major characteristic of of a, a true believer is this. It's about what you believe. You're gonna have to take what we call a doctrinal test. It's about knowing the truth about Jesus and the gospel. That is foundational to who you are as a Christian. If you don't have that right, everything else will be wrong. You start there. And the next two characteristics that you have to look at would be related to your behavior. The first one would be how you live your life. And we got a taste of that this morning from Pastor Paul. And when uh, Pastor Hortado and Lopez were preaching you have to take a look at how you live your life. It's the test of what? Of your righteous conduct, your obedience. Do you pass that? And the third one, which we're going to discuss tonight, is the, what we call the relational test. This is about how you love the brother. It's your relationship within the family of God. To sum it up, this is what you need to do. If you claim to be a Christ and be a believer in Christ, what you believe about Jesus, how you live your life, how you love God's children will show who you really are. That's that's the summary there. That's the statement. So tonight we're going to pick up in the book of 1 John uh, chapter 3. Before we do that, uh, let's uh, go into a word of prayer and... um, we'll ask that we will give God's word our earnest attention tonight. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I ask that uh, your word be proclaimed with power and clarity tonight. I ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive your word with great joy and great attention. Help us to set aside anything that would hinder us from hearing you. Set aside anything that would not allow us to see you in your, in your majesty. Allow your word to be the magnifying lens wherein we can truly, truly meet you tonight. Move us in our hearts not only to hear, but move us into action. Uh, let the truths that we hear be truly be put in practice in our lives. We praise in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, come with me and we'll do a little trip, our expedition in the Bible here, our mining expedition. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, which we'll start with verse 10, and we will end with 24. The first verse few verses of this is going to be our subject for tonight, and that is loving. It's about loving one another. And um, there's a second half of this, starting in verse 19. We might not be able to get there because of time constraints, but uh, we will try and see what we can do here. Now, we start with verse 10, where John is uh, summing up his thoughts on the previous topic that he was dealing with, and that's what Pastor Paul dealt with this morning, was the conduct of the life of a Christian, the conduct of righteousness. That's one of the identifying characteristics of a believer. The believer no longer practices a life of sin. And as Pastor Paul had explained, it's not a life of perfection. It's not sinlessness. A true Christian is not sinless, but they sin less. Big difference. Now, as he goes in verse 10, he would use this to transition to the next identifying characteristic of a true believer, but in the process, he will identify two kinds of people in the world. Now, he will identify them not on the basis of their racial heritage because we know that we come from many ethnic backgrounds, he will tell you about their spiritual heritage. There's only two kinds of people, and what are those kinds? The saved and the unsaved. I love uh, when Vernon McGee uh, speaks about that in his, his drawl. Is that below, There's only two kinds of people in the world: the saints and the aints. Right? So you have to figure out where you belong. See, by our nature, we are all what? We're all children of the devil. That's one category. By our nature. But by God's grace, some of us have become children of God. Amen. Thank you for God's grace. What John is saying that there's no middle ground. You either belong to this side or to that side. And the proof of who you belong to is evidenced by two things. And what are those two things? How you live your life and if you love the brother. It says right here, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. That's how you live. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. There's the love part. Let me read the rest of the text. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, And he knows everything. Dear friends, if your heart does not condemn you, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him. And he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. Now as we look into the second half here of chapter 3, as we finish this up, like I said, we are getting into one of the other identifying characteristics of a believer. And this is based on your love life. How's your love life? It's about the love for your fellow believers, mutual affection within the family of God. Now, in dealing with this, uh, with this subject, John would show a contrast between two things, love and hate. And based on this contrast, we'll, uh, in this contrast, we'll have two major points that I would like to share with you tonight. And point number one is we will examine the characteristics of hate. And we will see why hate has no business in the family of God. Point number two. We will examine the characteristics of a true Christian love. Love for one another and love for other believers. Now, picking it up from chapter three here, um, you know, this message of love one another has been spoken of so many times. We've read that. Uh, it becomes too familiar for us. Too familiar enough that we don't really put any more credence to it, it just become a what? A cliche. It's part of our what? Christianese. So this hope, I'm hoping that this is gonna make it real for us tonight because um, the opposite of love, the absence of love was what, is hate. When there's a lack of love in, in people's hearts, what happens? Hate moves in. So John, in 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 the first uh, in verse eleven, he says, "Is that I need to remind you of something? You need to go back to the basics. You're having doubts about your salvation. You need assurance. You need to go back to basics. Stop. Rewind the tape. Right? Let's go back to the foundational truths that we brought you at the very start. It was a true message about Jesus. It was a true message about salvation, about sin, about redemption." And about Christian conduct. And that message does not change at all. That message does not change. It will not change. And it will never ever change. It can't be altered. So go back to it. It's the same message that you've accepted and believed. While you were still in darkness. That's the message that brought you what? Into the light. It brought you forgiveness. It brought you eternal life. It's first hand knowledge from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So you can trust it to be true. And that message included one command, and that command was, we should love one another. It didn't say we should try to love one another, and it didn't say we hope to love one another. It says what? We should love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. I believe John remembers his conversation with Jesus, and he recorded that in John 13 When Jesus said to him, And you command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But this, by this, if everyone will know that you are what you are my disciples again, there's the evidence. Here's proof positive that you're mine and you have eternal life because you what you love one another. Now, he will start. And the next uh, verses to um, contrast love and hate, and the characteristics of hate, he will show that in the story of of Cain. He will use it as an illustration. You know, Cain has become what? He's become the poster boy for hate. He's an example. He's a negative example that John is saying, "Do not follow his suit." Right? We're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, right? They're the same. They're of the same family. They're brothers. They're the firstborn sons of who? Of Adam and Eve. They had the same influences. They knew the same God. And as the narrative went, they worshiped the same God and brought sacrifices to the same God. Isn't that right? Now, the difference is this. Cain's offerings and sacrifice was rejected, and Abel's was Accepted by the Lord And in his jealousy And his hate And his anger That was in his heart It, res- it resulted in murdering His brother See murder is the lowest f- er, Form there is In life It is the, the most extreme Expression of hate And here John equates hate with, with Murder, very strong words right? Words enough to make you what? To make you squirm. If you're convicted by this, it'll make you uncomfortable. And if you notice, Cain was what? Cain was a religious man, right? He went to church, if we're going to use the terminology. He brought what? He brought offerings and sacrifices to the true God. But why was his offerings and the sacrifices and his worship rejected by God? It was because what? Because his heart was evil. And evil, what is the uh, source of evil? You can see that. See here in, in verse 12, as we're looking. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to what? To the evil one. Because he was a child of the devil. And being the child of the devil, he had an evil heart. That's why the Lord could not accept him. And that evil and that hate caused him to what? To murder his brother. Now, in history, if you take a look at it, um, some of the most hateful and murderous people are religious people. They're people that come to church. In the time of Jesus' ministry, the religious establishment of that time were the ones that were always what? Plotting to kill him. They had murder in in their hearts. And they worshiped God. But they were trying to kill the righteous one. Remember what Jesus called them? What did he call the Pharisees that were trying to kill him? John chapter 8. And Pastor Paul alluded to that this morning. He says, you belong to who? Your father, The devil you want to carry out his desire, he was a what? A murderer from the beginning. The Pharisees hated Jesus. They hated the Lord. But eventually, they murdered him. Now, if you take a look at history, who killed Stephen? The same bunch. They martyred him. Who killed during the Spanish Inquisition? During the times of the Reformers? Religious people. Today, there's people out there blowing up and maiming and killing people in the name of their God. Religious people. All these people had one thing in common. They had the heart of Cain. Because their hearts belong to the devil, their father. Right? See, hate is the devil's trade. That's why it has no business in the children of God. There's no business in the family of God. You know, but you may say, I have not murdered anybody, but I have no plans of murdering anyone, right? I agree. Most people have not murdered. Most people will never will. But let's take a look at verse 15. Let's just go down a bit. It says, anyone who hates his brother, obviously he's talking to who? A believer, right? Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Hate has no business in the family of God. What John is saying here is not the act of murder. It's the murderer's heart, the attitude that hate brings. If you have a hateful heart, you might as well have been guilty of murder. Right? When Jesus talked about murder in Matthew chapter 5, he said anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. He says if you commit murder, you are what? You're under judgment. If you have anger and hate for your brother and you curse him out, you are under the judgment of hell. Matthew five twenty one twenty two. 22. So hate it's what is the moral equivalent of murder you might as well have been might as well just done it if it's in your heart it's almost the same thing as when you said about if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes in your heart you are what you're guilty of adultery pretty much the same thing hate comes in many many forms Murder is the most extreme expression. Let me ask you this. Have you been hurt? Have you been disappointed and wronged by a brother or a sister? How do you react? Do you harbor resentment, bitterness? Maybe in your thoughts seek out revenge? Or do you still have an unforgiving heart? That's a form of hate. That has no business in the family of God. Forgive as the Lord forgave. Isn't that what the good word says? What about prejudice? Can you see past the color of the skin of a brother? I'm not just talking about Caucasians and Africans. Vice versa. Prejudice goes both ways. I can be prejudicial to you. I don't know, am I brown or yellow? Okay. No matter what color. And prejudice is not limited to skin color. It's, it, it, it goes, there's prejudice with socioeconomic status as well. Education, vocation. Would you hang out? you're a white-collar person, would you hang out with a blue-collar person? Some people won't. That's a form of hate. Do you have a condescending attitude towards a brother? Thinking yourself better than someone else? Have you lashed out in anger? Have you said an unkind word? You know when they say sticks and stones may break my bones and words won't hurt me? That's a lie. Words cut deep. Words kill the spirit. That's a form of hate. Jealousy. Gossip. Oh, you love to talk about the brother and the sister. Here's one thing. That's why I come on Sunday nights and I can see this is the elect. Right? Do you have a hunger or a longing to be with God's people? Legitimate question, right? If you don't, you don't love Him. Every chance you have, would you like to hang around God's people? Or would you rather hang out with the world and do the things of the world? Now, I can give you, I can go on and on here and give you a lot more than that, what I just gave you in the subtle forms of hate. If you're in God's family, you know, these hateful attitudes are incompatible for who you are. Hate it has no business in God's family. I just want to clarify that, uh, what he says in verse 15. And it says, And you know that no murderer has eternal life. A lot of people kind of get that wrong. It doesn't mean that the sin of murder cannot be forgiven that's not what it means right no murderer can have eternal life what that means and what john is saying is that he's not talking about the basis of salvation there because the basis of salvation is what is god's grace through our faith in christ and a truly repentant murderer can get forgiveness for all the murder that is done true Remember remember, Paul? He persecuted the church. He murdered Christians. He was the biggest blasphemer and the biggest murderer of them all, and God gave him grace, and God used him in a mighty way. He got forgiveness. What John is saying here is that an unrepentant and a murderous heart is the evidence that shows that you don't have eternal life. That's why... A murderer's heart has no business in God's family because it will show that you do not possess eternal life. It's not about the basis of your salvation, but it's what? It's the evidence of your salvation. Now John moves on and um, he talks about the world hating believers. They'll hate you. They hate me because they follow whose example, Cain. And what was Cain's motive for murdering his brother? Is that about uh, the jealousy played a part in that, the rejection played a part in it, well, what was it? What was the, the motive? He killed him because he hated what? He hated his righteousness. The world hates your righteousness. When you become a child of God, You've been transformed. You've been what? Plucked out from the world. You've been separated from the world. You are now clothed in the righteousness of your Savior. And Jesus said in John 15, he says, If the world hates you, it's because they hated me first. You represent Jesus now if you're a child of God, and you represent his righteousness. And throughout history, the world has always hated God and his righteousness. So don't be surprised. Right? You know, the world is, uh, does a pretty good job of hating believers. Would you agree? There's a lot of persecution out there nowadays, and there's a lot of mocking. Even here, in our very own United States, I've, I've experienced mocking as a Christian. In one of my workplaces, I'm just going to make this long story short, they used to call me uh, Jesus freak. They used to call me Bible Thumper Man. Right? And every time they uh, would do that, they do it in a joking way, but there's no, there's, there's mocking behind it. And I would just respond by saying, well, thank you for the compliment. Right? And that puts an end to that. Right? Truly, it's a compliment. I think to be called a Jesus Freak is a compliment. Right? Would, you, would you mind be, being called Jesus Freak? I don't think so. It's a compliment. The problem that I find sometimes is that some of us believers jump in that bandwagon of hate, right? The world doesn't need our help. Some of us are more, if not equally critical of the church than the world. We're always looking for what? We're busy looking for faults in people. Brother, so and so, sister, so and so. We're looking for the oh, the church is doing this. It's wrong. It's wrong. We we become the biggest critic of the family. That's not what a child of God does. That's hate. And hate is no business in the family of God. When you hate on believers, when you're hating on the child of God, who you're really hating on? If you know the story of Paul, when he was still called Saul, and he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, what did the Lord ask him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? When you hate on your brother and your sister, you're hating on your Lord and Savior if you are a child of God. If you're not a child of God, it wouldn't make any difference. It comes natural for the world to hate the brothers and the sisters. And I'm just going to give you one more thing about this uh, matter of hate. We looked at murder, we looked at hate, we're looking at the subtle manifestation of hate called indifference. Verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and see his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That's indifference. See your brother in need, and you know that you have the ability and the capacity to help him, but you just, what, what do you do? You send him away with your, with your best wishes, and you tell them, I'm going to pray for you. Might as well have said, I don't care. I don't really care. I can't be bothered. Be on your merry way. I wish you well. That's the same attitude that uh, the religious people in the story of the Good Samaritan displayed, wasn't it? Pastor Sean preached that. The priest, the Levite, story of the Good Samaritan, I can't be bothered. I don't really care. Right? I'm not going to help the person in need, but the Samaritan, he said, you know, I can't let this go. I'm able to help this person. That's the attitude. That's an attitude of love. A hateful heart is an indifferent heart. Hate has no business being in God's family. Now, John switches gears. I don't know how much time i got left here. I haven't been keeping time with all the microphone fiasco, but um, he switches gears and goes the opposite direction. Now we're gonna take a look at point number two. What is the detailed description of what a true Christian love looks like? Now, we get a, uh, the, does the world talk about love? Do they have their own perspective about love? Yes, they do. All right, uh, most of the time it's based on what? It's based on feelings, emotions. You know, you've seen a lot of movies. A lot of books, a lot of songs written about love by the world, but at its best, it's, uh, it's always um, self-centered, it's superficial, it's uh, unfulfilling, it's temporary, and most of the time it's very mechanical, no depth to it, uh, but John's going to give us the perspective of God on what this love is all about, and the model for this love, for Christian love, is Is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself as the model for hate was Cain? The Lord Jesus is now the perfect model for love. And the measure and the standard of this love is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Because remember when He gave the command, what did He say? Love one another as what? As I have loved you. So that's the standard right there. The bar has now been what? Has been raised. The command to love has been in the Bible throughout, even in the Old Testament. Love God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're commanded to what? Love your enemies. That's a hard one for a lot of us. Right? Love the lost. Love God's word. But this is a specific command. Love what? One another. And this act of love is to be modeled on the act of love that Jesus displayed on the cross. And what did he do? Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's a self-denying kind of love. It's about willingness to give up what's precious to you. For the sake of who? A brother and a sister. John 15, 12, 14 The Lord Jesus said, My command is this love each other as I have loved you. He says it again. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Now he's telling us, Love the way I did. I laid my life down for you, and you be ready to lay your life down for your family, your brothers and your sisters in the household of faith. You know, it reminds me uh, of a story about, um, uh, I'm not going to make this too long, but on the first Gulf War in Iraq, there was a story of a a Marine corporal. I think his name was Lance Corporal Martinez. He was a Spanish uh, kid from L.A., a gangbanger that got saved. Wanted to straighten out his life. In the process, he joined the Marines and got saved when he joined the Marines. He met up with a couple of Marines who were believers, and they led him to Christ. When they were deployed in Iraq, they got into a situation where they got pinned down. His buddies, there were three of them. Two of his buddies were wounded. They were bleeding to death. And they were surrounded by enemy fire. Now, without even hesitation, because he knew that if he did not do anything, surely his brothers were going to die. They were not just brothers in arms as Marines. They were brothers in Christ. Those are the two that led him to the Lord. So without even hesitation, and he got a medal for this, he just went out there at the risk of losing his life. And to make a long story short, he took out the enemy and he was able to get the brothers to safety and they were rescued and they survived. Or else, they would have just bled to death. When he was being interviewed, he said, um, the, the reporter was saying, what was going on in your mind? You know, that uh, there was a hopeless situation, you could have just sat there and wait for reinforcements to come and then you didn't have to risk your life. You know what, he says, this is, this is when I read this, it put me in tears. He goes, you know, I was given so much love by my God that he sent his son to die so I may live. Right? didn't have any qualms about the answer. I said, I did not see any other way. I could not let my brothers die. It was the natural thing to do. That struck me. He says, he didn't say it was the right thing to do. He says, it was the natural thing to do loving the sacrificial and self-denying love of Christ was now a part of him. It was it a was natural thing to do. No questions asked. Now you and I may never have that opportunity. We may never get an opportunity to lay our life down or sacrifice our life or have the opportunity to save somebody like that in battle. But that's not the point, though. The question is this. Are you ready? Are you willing to lay your life down for another brother if the opportunity came up? Or you, would you be waffling? Or you would you have, be having second thoughts about it? Lance Corporal Martinez didn't even blink an eye. Just went down there. See, true Christian love does not require anything in return. This is now the characteristics of true Christian love. It's not, I tell you I love you because you're loving me back. None of that. No favors required. No returns required. I love you only if you love me back. I love you if you do me favors. No, that's not true Christian love. They call that unrequited love. does not require any returns. True Christian love is also what? Unconditional. It does not care how much it has been offended, disappointed, hurt, sinned against. It's unconditional. It forgives. It forgets. The Lord Jesus never required a return for the love that he showed for us. He didn't care about how much we offended him. But he loved us nevertheless to lay down his life. True Christian love gladly bears our brother's burdens and pain and need. It cries with those in, in mourning and weeping. It rejoices with those who celebrate joy. It is not indifferent. It looks out for the needs of others. I've experienced that personally myself. Where people knew that I was in need and without even the blink of an eye, help comes. Have you experienced that? I've experienced that both ways, right? when I first started coming to this church and we were going through situations where we were financially always on the up and down. Things were rocky. I've experienced so many times, I tell people, just being honest, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're doing okay, but not so okay. What's the not so okay part? Bills aren't getting paid. Without a word, here, maybe this will help. But I've been blinking an eye. Now I find myself doing that, and it's natural. Don't line up in the back <laughs> after the <this> service. <laughs> Only when I can. Okay? <laughs> True Christian love is also tough. What I mean by tough, it's tough on what? On sin. It's tough. It's tough on error. You know, the mo- one of the most unloving and unkind thing that you can do is to ignore sin and to ignore error, just to keep the peace. Don't want to stir the pot, so I'm just let him let him be. I just put blinders on. Now, that's unkind. That's unloving. You know, you may say that this is hard. Uh, you know, it's hard to love, Leo hard to love like that oh you have no idea what I'm going through with these people only if you knew what these people are like you know what I say to that even though I haven't met them I know them and how do I know them because they were imperfect just like me they're unlovable just like me Maybe they're full of warts, just like me. But I know this. They're blood bought. They're covered by grace. They're forgiven. They're the saints that are heaven bound. They're family. I'll tell you, love them anyway, no matter what. Love them God's way, not your way. You have to remind yourself, uh, and I'm just going to close this up, you have to remind yourself of the process of your salvation. When you get saved, when a person gets saved, something happens. It's called what? Transformation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. The Holy Spirit takes residence in your heart. And what happens then is that God's love is shed abroad in your heart. Romans 5.5 5. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So that kind of a love resides in your heart. And there's no need to teach you how to love because God teaches you himself. He's inside you. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you or teach you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. This is a supernatural kind of love, and the reason why we cannot love others is because what? We'd write to do it in our own flesh. What we need to do on any spirit led activity is what? Turn on the power. But sometimes we don't plug it in. And we wonder why. We're not able to do it. Galatians five twenty six, when it lists the fruit of the spirit, what is the first one it lists? Love. For the fruit of the spirit is what? Is love, joy, patience, love is the number one. See, God hasn't only given you his love, he's given you the ability and the capacity to to love other people. All you need to do is what? Plug in the source, the Holy Spirit, turn it on, and in the profound words from that great pillar of theological foundation called Nike, just do it. Take their advice, just do it. Don't make this phrase, love one another, just a familiar phrase. Don't make it just a nice cliche or a nice sentiment to be admired or a noble virtue to be talked about, preached about, taught in Bible study classes, and then you do, what do you do with it? Set it aside now. Don't do that. John says, no, no, no. He's closing this out. He says, here's my final instruction to you. On this matter of loving one another, let your talk be evident in your walk. Verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let your talk be evident in your walk. A profession of love without action backing it up truly means nothing. It's meaningless. Right? So your loving ac- action towards your brothers and your sisters it's the testimony to the world that you are what? God's child. Loving one another is a characteristic of a true believer. It's testimony to yourself. That's what it's saying. You're in the truth. You have assurance for yourself that you have eternal life. I don't have time to develop the uh, rest of the chapter here, but as I'm just going to tell you, I think this is the heart of the gospel. This is God's heart. Love is God's heart. The heart of the gospel is about God's love and giving. Self-denial. Self-giving. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here. Just in conclusion. Do you know and believe in the true Jesus? Have you received his gift of salvation? If you're not sure, and if you don't know him, the next two questions I'm going to ask you is really not going to matter. So if you don't know him, there's a lot of people here that do. Talk to me. Talk to the people here in front, or the people next to you. I said I want to know just Jesus If you're here and you don't know him If you know him Is your life Characterized That you know him How do you live your life Is it glorifying to him Is it honoring to him Does it show that you're a child of God And question number three How's your love life You know, if they were to come here and arrest you today and try you for a crime of loving the brother, will you be convicted guilty beyond the shadow of a doubt? Is your life characterized by a habitual love for the brother? If it's not, you need to examine yourself. Do you pass the tests? If you're passing the test, praise God. Continue on. If you are failed or lacking in these matters, don't leave guilty. Don't leave beat up and shamed. God never wants to leave you there because his grace is always greater. Look to God's grace. Look to Jesus. Look to the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. And where do you start? On your knees. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us in many ways. We thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. It's greater than our failings. And Father, we look to you for strength in our day-to-day walk as we love fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Be with us for the rest of the service as we share and celebrate the Lord's table May we truly look into our hearts if we are passing the test before we take the elements. And if we need correction, Father, speak to us. You are gracious, you are forgiving, and you are kind. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.